Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 14 of Retro Hangover. You're listening to us over the sweet, sweet megabits and kilobits of the streaming service of your choice. I am Chris Copeline, and I am here representing Retro Hangover with the always amazing Shane. And I'm not going to do alliteration this weekend because I'm fucking tired and I'm quite frankly too lazy to do alliteration because uh, I didn't really plan for it. I'm just, I'm just happy to be recording. I'm happy as a clam and I'm happy to be here. So I would like to... Welcome you all again, because it's been two weeks, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit later, maybe. We, we are, actually. And, yes. and, and you know, for what it's worth, you actually did have a small bit of alliteration in there. So I was hoping you wouldn't notice. I, I always notice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, two, yeah, so it's been two weeks, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose at this point we ought to just get out of the way now that for, for those of you that uh, hopefully have been listening fairly regularly to our little thing that we do here. Um, our original goal was to be sort of weekly with this thing, but uh, life tends to happen. And if we think that it's probably going to work out best for us and it'll allow us to be hopefully a little more consistent with our timing if we just go to a bi-weekly schedule. So I think in the, the very near future, that's probably what we're going to swap to. Now, having said that, I, of course, am going to be out of town for about a month starting next weekend. So our schedule stuff probably going to be crazy still for a little while. But suffice to say, it's going to normalize eventually and will probably be like every two weeks. This, of course, him leaving for a month is, is part of the big con project to keep my copy of Final Fantasy VII, which I've still not gotten back. Uh, I mean, it, it's really only a matter of time before you start receiving letters with magazine cutouts on them and... I'll just be demanding some sort of heinous ransom or something. It's all about it's all about that retro video game money to price charting. You're waiting for it to go up. That's true. That's, that's why holding on to it. Yeah, I, I'm playing the long con on this one. That's that's really what it is. Uh, so, Shane, how have you been? How, how have you been doing? Are you finally rid of your horrific sickness that I must have passed on to you or whatever the case may be? Uh, <clears throat> you know, I won't say that I'm rid of it 100 percent, but uh i'm i'm functional at this point and that's that's uh you know that's about all i can really ask for it's better than being completely out of commission yeah yeah uh my i i caught the sore throat slash congestion slash headache thing that's kind of evidently like almost everyone has been getting um which tends to happen this time of year but uh yeah I just got diarrhea. Cool. No headache, no sore throat. I'm not sure whether I would prefer that or not. I don't know. I, I probably would. I, I'd take diarrhea over the headache and sore throat. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's a tough call. It's gone now. 
and um, been been getting some some gaming in. What kind of gaming, Shane? Oh well, thank you for asking. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, well, you know, there's always the the usual the usual suspects. Um, the the mobile stuff that I do. In between, this is how I think that I think things are. I, I may have to like just admit that I have a problem. I think we both have problems. We 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 play enough games to the point where we have a full podcast where we do nothing but talk about them. I mean, I guess if you put it that way, I mean, it's a good problem. But, well, that's true. Uh, I, well, that's all a matter of perspective, I guess. But um, I, I mean, my my mobile gaming has kind of just been like I. It, it, it's structured in such a way, at least most of the games, to where I can do them while also playing something else. So I do <laughs> fairly often. Oh my god, I do! I do the same thing. Well, I mean, a lot of these now they offer like auto play. You know, like if you've already beat a certain part of the game or whatever, or a certain stage, if you need to go back and grind that stage, which you probably do. Um, They'll just give you autoplay, so you just click that button, and then you just grind away at stuff. So you just put your phone down and let it do its thing, and you could totally be playing something else in the meantime. Mobile game farming? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been farming the, the, the record keeper still. Um, Marvel Future Fight, they actually just updated that one recently with some new stuff, so that was pretty cool. They rebalanced a few things. Um, I stopped Star Wars Uprising for a while because I kind of wasn't feeling it, but I, I, I got back into it a little bit, and it's not bad, but it's structured in a really weird way. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe. Like, the, there's an intrinsic problem with how they built the game, which is you, in order to get better gear... You have to run missions, of course, but almost all missions also award experience and missions require a certain gear rating to like complete or or to at least get better rewards. So the problem therein is the more missions you run to get better gear gives you XP. So you level up to which you then do harder missions but you haven't gotten the gear yet because you need to grind for random drops to get a better gear rating. So then you get stuck in this weird place where you don't have good enough gear to do missions, but... I'm sure if you purchase some microtransactions (laughs) or something that would help you accelerate your progress with a little bit of money, you wouldn't have that problem as much. Well, I mean, you say that, but here's another weird thing about this game is that a lot of these games like this will, will yeah, will offer you, like, you know, buy this piece of armor and, you know, you'll be better for $2.99 or, or whatever it is. Right. This one, it's it's purely random, which is, I suppose, even more insidious. But the only, the only, the only like, microtransactions that are really built into the game are for the premium currency, which is Chromium. And... The only way that you can use that chromium to really get better gear, at least directly, is through like a crane system, which, it, which when you really think about it, is actually kind of funny because it's like a very thinly. It's a, so you're pulling the lever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're spending, I think it's like a hundred or hundred and twenty chromium for like one shot 
at a crane draw that is just a random chance to get loot. And most of the time, it's not even that great. So they have this really weird conundrum in the game where by playing it to get better gear, you level up faster, which gets you to harder missions, which makes it harder to run because you don't have the gear. It's really strange. Mm. What I really want to know about, though, is that I I saw you posted something about playing the Star Wars Battlefront beta. Oh, yeah. So so that. (laughs) Um, that's, That's still going on now. So if you were interested in that and want to get in on it, um, they actually just extended it to the 13th, actually. It was supposed to end on the 12th, but they extended it by a day. So um, you can just get in on that on Xbox, PC, PS4, any of them. I don't have PS Plus, though, so I'm not paying for PS Plus to play that crap. Well, then you won't play it. And, and No, I will not. And honestly, I am i don't really think you're missing much. Uh, Elaborate, please. Tell me. Tell me what so... sucks. Tell me why I shouldn't buy this piece of shit. <laughs> so, first of all, let me preface this by saying that if if anybody that's listening isn't already aware, I'm not a huge competitive shooter fan. I never have been. Um, when I did try to play Counter Strike back in like college, circa 2004, 2005, um, that game has so far been the only one that came dangerously close to making me throw a laptop out of like a fifth story window. So yeah, that good, huh? Yeah, that good. Um, so I'm not a fan to say the least, but this is star Wars and it was free. So I was like, why not? And I downloaded it, got in. I will say that it was actually really smooth. I didn't have any issues like getting into the beta or anything. Um, so that guy I was talking about the alpha is more like a troll. Probably, yeah. They were talking about last week, yeah. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago. Yeah, no, I, I I had no issues. I didn't run into any major bugs or anything while I was playing. The servers were pretty stable. I did read that some people were having issues with the PC servers, but they brought up more to compensate. I was in from like the word go at 12:30 in the afternoon the day that they started it and i got in just fine but uh but anyway so the biggest problem that i see is that it's just bland the visuals are amazing the game looks great it's it's definitely authentically star wars if you're a star wars fan then you're definitely going to appreciate the detail they put into things uh the the hoth map uh, when you go into like the rebel base and everything, everything looks exactly like you thought it would look, um, and how it should look. But it just feels very repetitive and very uninspired. There's just not much there. And on top of that, the power up system that they've got in place is really strange. Uh, I know that in past, like, Battlefield games, you know, if you wanted to get into a vehicle, there was an actual vehicle sitting there on the battlefield that you hopped into. Uh, that is not the case in this game. Everything is these very, like, gamified, semi-translucent floating icons that you, like, run over on the map. So you'll run through an icon and suddenly, like, be in a vehicle. Hmm. Um, which That sounds very awkward and strange. It's really awkward, and it makes it feel very gamey, so it kind of, like, takes you out of the experience. Whereas Now, I will say I can kind of see where they were going with it, where previous uh, Battlefield games and stuff like that had issues with people basically camping 
vehicle locations. Um, but this doesn't solve that problem because their gamey little icons also still spawn in the same places. So I'm not really sure what they were going for there. I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of people who like this experience. It doesn't sound like something for me, really, especially since they don't have a single player campaign. No. And I mean, no, I, I've already seen that there are plenty of people that are enjoying the beta. And, you know, granted, there are several other game modes that are not available in the beta. But really, this is I mean, this is all you're getting. I mean, as you said, there's no single player campaign at all, which for me I would have at least bought this game for that. Um, mm-hmm. Not not full price, of course, but um, I would have bought it to at least play through a campaign. But that does not exist, and it won't. Um, so all you're really left with is honestly just some really basic deathmatch and slightly bigger deathmatch with like the twenty versus twenty map on Hoff um, with vehicles. And there's also some balancing issues, but I'm sure they'll probably take care of that because this is a beta. But for- well, there's also patching, and who cares? It's EA and Dice, and it's day one. So even if not, sure, sure, it'll still be fucked. But I-, I will say, at least for me, and I know I'm not the only one because I was reading through a lot of um, people's sentiments about their time in the beta, and there is a fairly significant portion of people that feel the same way I do that this is just really, really bland, which is kind of unfortunate given that it's Star Wars and mm. I wanted to like it, but probably not going to be buying this one. Anything else out there you've been playing and enjoying? Or at least playing? <laughs> uh, not a whole lot else. Um, I, I, Oh, I did um, finally get around to downloading the Plague Knight DLC for Shovel Knight. Is it worth it? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's essentially the entire campaign over again with uh plague knight and and like the new mechanics that playing as him sort of brings to it and there's a whole other story he definitely controls a lot differently like it actually took a little while to get used to the mechanics um because his main like method of attack is like throwing uh like alchemical bombs Mm -hmm. and he has a double jump but you also have to use this boost jump thing a lot where to do that, you have to like press and hold the attack button, so you'll throw a bomb, and then you hold it, and then he'll flash, and we let go, he explodes and like shoots into the air. And getting used to controlling that is a little awkward at first, but there are different upgrades you can buy with the, the money that you get playing the game that will sort of change that. Like I just bought one upgrade that makes it so you float after you do your little like burst jump. And that makes that a lot easier to like control where you're actually going to land. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing that on November 3rd when it comes out for the Wii U. Because I think that's all... You're getting everything on the physical disc. Uh, yeah. I'm looking... Yeah. Look, really looking forward to that. Yeah. So that's that's been fun. And then I kind of got back into um, my Ocarina of Time for 3DS. I kind of picked up where I left off on that. But um, that is the very long-winded version of what I've been doing. So what about you, Chris? What, what have you been up to? In terms of, I've, I've had a lot of game pickups in the past two weeks. I didn't even mention my game pickups in the last podcast. I'll, I'll briefly touch on those. But mm. I got Rayman Legends for the Wii U I've been playing. I beat that game. I don't know if I started playing that last episode or not. I think you mentioned I, it, yeah. I, I, I went through Rayman Legends. I, I beat it. I got the main objective of that game done. A, a very, very, very good game. 
I have to say, if you like platformers, I, I'm figuring out now I'm not, may not be the biggest fan of platformers, mm-hmm. but I liked it enough to acknowledge that it's a really good game. If you have a Wii U, I mean, any system really that you have it for, you, you owe it to yourself to get it. It's a cheap game. It's really good. Uh, there are some minor gripes, but man, the, the soundtrack in that game is fantastic. And it's just beautiful. I know I'm talking to people who probably play this game. It's been out for two years. This is a pattern with me. I play old games because they are dirt cheap. <laughs> and I do not have lots of money. So uh, I just have to say this about the game. is it, It's unfortunate. I was like looking up game sales for that game. And it was like 1.5 million across all consoles. They're the best one selling for the Wii U with like 200,000 units only. It's very disappointing considering how good of a game it is. Uh, it's it, it there there's some gripes i have with it like the touchscreen levels where they're they call the murphy levels that you have to control murphy and you you're pretty much moving things out of the way so this guy can move across the screen unobstructed and it's extre- it can be fun or it can be extremely infuriating and you're wondering how stupid computer ai can be and that's that's where i was at with that game i started playing silent hill a little bit the original Really? Uh, yeah, I think I got 15 minutes into it because I just haven't had a lot of time. And I I don't know what it is. I think I might be thinking of Silent Hill 2. But for some reason, I thought I was really good at swinging around a steel pipe. <laughs> and Not so much. It's extremely slow and cumbersome, and I can't hit crap with the fucking thing. So I'm thinking I'm remembering myself using it on Silent Hill 2. Two and using the the steel pipe in Silent Hill Two to beat things and bludgeon things because it's not working in the first one. Well, and I mean to be fair, it does work in the second one, but I mean they actively it's it's cumbersome on purpose. Like they're actively discouraging you from just trying to beat up everything. Well, I understand that, but I can't even get timing down. It's it's getting to the point where it's silly. <laughs> Running around with a shotgun and a kitchen knife. And once you learn how to use those things, and graphically speaking, the thing has aged like crap. Oh, yeah. That's to be expected. So things aren't scary anymore. I mean, they kind of are. They're unsettling, especially some of the other scenes when it's dark and there's corpses all over the place. That's rather unsettling. But uh, when it's nice and foggy and bright, it's more like you're watching this pixelated piece of shit walk around. (laughs) And trying to put my mindset in this game, you have to remember this game count in 1999, so I can't really slam it for looking like ass. Especially since it scared the crap out of me back then. But, yeah, it's it's kind of hard for me to take it as seriously now, just because of the way it looks. Uh, so, I, I'm, I'm trying to make my way through that game. I also played uh, some Chippendale Rescue Rangers for the Nintendo, nice. which is a recent pickup I made this week. I got it from Video Game Rescue. Other than that, some video game pickups I made. I got Resident Evil Revelations for the Wii U. I got that for 10 bucks. And I got Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law for the Wii because it was free. If not, it would only have been 80 cents anyway. So as I would have been probably inclined to pick it up regardless. I got Prince of Persia, the shell-shaded one, because mm-hmm. I, I used to have it. And then I gave it to my brother-in-law and he lost it. But now I have it again. It was a whopping $3. So I can't complain. Some game called Enslaved. Odyssey to the West or something like that. It was one of the bundles that you sent me. It was an Amco game that you sent my way. And it was like $3. So I'm curious, how was um, Harvey Birdman? How was that f- free? Was that like an offer thing or something? And it was It was a buy two, get one. 
Oh, okay, okay. And I, I got one more game. It still isn't here yet. It's called Legend of K for the Wii U. Okay. Anniversary edition. And I'll tell you why I got it. Uh, I saw a video, not really advertising it, but it was someone else's video game pickups. And I was kind of thinking the same thing this video was thinking is this game was not advertised very well. It's getting pretty decent review scores. It was way under the radar. Mm-hmm. It was the and it was the only Wii U game released in the entire month of August in North America, <laughs> and it, it's not supposed to be a bad game. And it, no one's ever really. I don't think it, you. I, I don't even have you even heard of this game, Legend of K Anniversary Edition. I I haven't even heard of the regular edition. Yeah, well, it was an old PS2 game that was actually published by Capcom way back in the day. Hmm. Uh, this one is not, and there are so few titles made of this game. And they, they barely got it out the door that when they sent it out for release, it came in white Wii cases. They didn't wow. even have the money to put it out in blue Wii U cases. So when I saw that, I was I told myself, this game's going to be... Either this game's going to end up in a bargain bin in like 10 years, and I'm going to kick myself for, for spending on it, but I did. Or it's going to be one of those games that everyone's going to be looking for. And I would... I'm trying to get these Wii U games because I think the Wii U's the next Saturn. And if you've looked at Saturn game prices right now, you'll, you'll cry because it's damn near criminal what they're asking for these games right now. So I'm, I'm trying to get on the ground floor with all these Wii U games now and, and definitely get them on the cheap if I can get them on the cheap. But if I feel like I can't get them on the cheap and now's the best time to strike, hell yeah, I'm going to get that. Well, it's a, uh, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out for you. It probably won't because these things normally do not. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's all I really got. But, um, yeah, mostly purchases, not a lot of gameplay. So I'm I'm curious, just quickly before we uh yeah. go on to the news. Um, how did you feel the difficulty level was in Rayman Legends? Ooh, that that is actually a really good question because. Like, dying is inconsequential in that game. Mm-hmm. You can die repeatedly. In fact, sometimes I found myself dying on purpose in f- case I knew I missed something, just so I could go back to that area if I feel like I, I can't go back naturally. And I'd die just to go back, because dying dying serves no purpose. You die and you go back to a checkpoint. There's no lives. You don't really get punished for it, other than you lose whatever progress you made between one checkpoint and the point you died. So I felt like there was a lot of learning. Now... I guess it has a lot of Mega Man syndrome to it, where like a lot of it's based off how skilled you are, but you have to learn by dying, which can be extremely frustrating, which is what uh, I grew up on. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of stuff I grew up on, so it doesn't bother me, but it probably bother a lot of other people. But like I said, because dying is so inconsequential and it's so easy to learn from your mistakes, it kind of eases you in for the more casual platformer. Hmm. So that's really good. On the flip side... There are some levels that are just absolutely brutal, especially after you beat the game. It has, I mean, even before you beat the game, they have these invasion levels that are essentially time trials. Mm-hmm. And once you beat the game, they have these things called the Shadow Rayman levels. And those things are just, they are just brutal. They are brutal because you got to be extremely precise with how you control your character and, and how you platform and how you play that game. And you have to know exactly how to take advantage of everything you have. It, it, it starts getting, especially the time trial levels are, are, are pretty rough. But other than that, the game is, is, is extremely, I found it extremely balanced and extremely fun. 
I think you would actually really like it. If you like Mario, you definitely like this game. It's not at that level. Yeah, well, I mean, the part of the reason I ask is, um, well, A, I'm actually fairly certain that I have that in my Steam backlog somewhere. Right. And also because I have a copy of, I, I bought a copy of the original Rayman for the PlayStation. And oh. I played that. And I don't know if it's just me or what, but that game was very unforgiving (laughs) and also because of you know the the era that it came from did not uh benefit from any sort of revive at a checkpoint system like the one that you're talking about now it was just like oh you have x amount of lives and if you lose them all then you have to start over oh the original rayman yes I, i do have a copy of that i have it digitally and i have it physically and that game is knock down drag out brutal uh rayman legends is nowhere near that difficult. Think of Rayman Legends as somewhat parallel, maybe a little bit more difficult in level design as to new Super Mario Brothers. Well, that's encouraging then. Maybe I, uh, maybe I'll actually give that a shot then at some point. I was sort of like staying away from it because I didn't want to get my face bashed in, but maybe no, you'll not get your. No, not at all. Like my kid is, my kids made it halfway through the game. And he's awful at platformers. Well, I mean, when you put it that way, fine. He's, he's good at RPGs like Child of Light, which is beyond me. But anyway, we've had a long intro. We sure have. Yes, but, you know, it's it's been a long two weeks. We're just getting some stuff out of the way. So today we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in the news. Stuff like what Microsoft is going into, what they're saying. Stuff about the retro VGS. Esports play, uh, players unions. Square Enix going back microtransactions, some James Bond stuff, some Marvel stuff, and of course we have all the news stories in the flight. But as always, we have our we have our news stories of which we put a title to, and we always call it What's on Tap. So, uh, jumping into our stories. Um, so, Chris. Yes. Did you know that the Xbox One may not be performing as well in the market as the PlayStation 4? <gasps> really? I know. I was surprised, I, too. That's... I, I didn't see that coming. No. and You know what? I don't think any of us did. But... No. Xbox boss Phil Spencer was here to, to let us know that uh, even he acknowledges that the, the PS4 has a, quote, huge lead over the Xbox One, and uh, even he is uh, unsure if the console's really ever going to be able to catch up. Mm -hmm. I will say that this is uh, sort of vindicating everything I've been saying about that box ever since it was revealed. I think that they made a lot of major missteps right from the get-go, and those were things that I don't think they've really been able to recover from. I mean, yeah. Look, there's a lot of missteps they had, and it doesn't help that the thing's underpowered compared to the PS4, and it cost more than it when it came out of the gate, and it had the Kinect, and it had the DRM issues, and Sony played all the right moves compared to the Xbox, which shocks me, and this is kind of a, a prelude to our main topic this week, is the console wars, based off what he said uh, last week about how it's distasteful and where it's at. Uh, but when you think about, when you look back historically, you never see... 
Phil Spencer pretty much came out and said that they're they're not going to catch the PS4. No, that they they've pretty much lost what they they've lost this generation to Sony, and that I think is the the this story I don't think is has been emphasized as much as it probably could have because this is you have never seen a company just up and roll over since. Uh, they did that with, I think Bernie Stoller did it back with the Saturn and said, the Saturn's not our future. And that's when pretty much everyone just bailed out on the Saturn and said, screw you. I, I've never seen a company come out and say, yeah, our competitors got us and we're just going to try and sell as much as we can. And that's pretty much what we're going to do. I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get why Microsoft's coming out and, and even trying to say this stuff. I know that Phil Spencer's an honest and, and pretty relatively cool guy. In terms of how he presents himself, I don't know him personally, but you, I, I don't see why they would allow him to say this about their product. I, it just blows my mind that he come out and say that we're going to get our asses kicked by Sony for the rest of this generation. So we're just going to see where things go. I mean, for what it's worth, I will say that I appreciate the candor. I mean, there's there, you don't really get that very often. As consumers in the know, yeah, that's good candor. But what about the third party developers? Oh, yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, I, I suppose I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing some, at least, uh, bailing on this. Uh, or at least pulling back. I mean, at this point, the whole cross-platform thing is so entrenched that I, I'm not sure that anybody would truly bail on the platform. I, I would say that maybe console exclusives might be a thing of the past or at least very scarce for them going forward. Mm -hmm. But, but cross platform releases, I don't, I don't really see that changing too much. I mean, that's basically just a developer shooting themselves in the foot. If they don't, you're right. Oh yeah. But if you're, if you're a studio with, with less money, I don't know how these things work, but if you can only get it, if you only have the money to get it on one console, why would you not put it on the PS4? Oh yeah. No, I mean, definitely. I mean, if you had to pick and choose, then yeah, for sure. And, And I mean, just you know for so 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 the whole thing isn't like entirely like doom and gloom i mean you know spencer did at least acknowledge that you know the team that they've sort of restructured ever since he was promoted to the head of xbox back in 2014 um they have done a lot to at least try to salvage uh you know what they could from this thing backwards compatibility is actually a big one and i know and we've even said this too but I think we maybe take that for granted a little bit just because you do have to stop and realize the kind of uh, the kind of work that does go into that, particularly in this generation as well, because, you know, they went from, you know, a, a power PC architecture to x86 and then making those things compatible with each other so you can play old games on new hardware. It's not exactly a small feat. So credit where credit is due, I suppose. I, I, I think that it... Yeah, it's no small feat, but too little, too late for the Xbox. I, I really think for the Xbox One and Microsoft, at least they acknowledge it. I, I think that you, no matter what a company says, I mean, you look at stuff. I'm pretty sure that Nintendo behind their closed doors right now, too, is like, yeah, we're getting our asses handed to us, but we don't care because this is what we do. I, I, I'm pretty sure Nintendo cares that they're just getting absolutely demolished right now by these two companies. But they're not going to come out and say it. For Microsoft to come out and say that, especially, you have timed exclusives going on with the new Tomb Raider game. 
you got to think right now, Square Enix looks at these statements and they're thinking to themselves, what the hell do we get ourselves into? Why is a company that we, we signed a, an exclusive deal with coming out and saying, yeah, we're getting our butts kicked. And and so you looked at more time exclusives, which Microsoft's trying to use to get a leg up. And I don't think they're really aiming to do that anymore. I think Phil Spencer came out and said they're trying to get away from trying to buy exclusivity. I mean, at least for what it's worth, I mean, at least he has the you know, self-awareness to understand that that's kind of a losing battle at this point. So, uh, yeah, but Hey, you know, uh, at least they're not, uh, doing quite as bad as some other consoles like, uh, the retro VGS, for example. Oh Christ. (laughs) So, uh, you want to, you want to go into that one a little bit? The retro VGS is a console that was created in fantasy land. Essentially. (laughs) I got a lot of my information about it from, uh, Pat, the NES punk, of the completely unnecessary podcast. There's a, he has a lot of good info on there about exactly what happened with this thing. Essentially, this this company, I think Retro, they, they make the, the Retro magazine. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've seen it. Yeah, I've seen that circulating around. And they, they wanted to come out with their own console that harkened back to the days of cartridge-based gameplay because in their minds, or at least the pitch they're trying to propose to people like myself and presumably Shane, mm-hmm. who grew up on cartridge-based systems is, hey, if we have a cartridge-based system, game developers would have to make the games better with less bugs because they can't be patched and updated. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, And some people looked at this as a good idea. I don't know why. So they went out and they got a Atari Jaguar mold uh, that they're going to make a console out of, slapped a couple of USB ports on it, slapped some Sega Genesis controller ports on it, and... They've been announcing this for a while. They've had it in plans. They launched their Indiegogo. And on their Indiegogo, they asked for $2 million to be raised. And they didn't get anywhere near it. Like, anywhere. No, it's uh, just shy of 62000 Yes. And that was in 11 days. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much came out and said, uh, this, this, this campaign is ending. So if you want your money back, get it back because we're not doing anything. But they're trying to say the system isn't dead. Now, the... the the system's dead. I'm pretty sure the system is dead. And there's a lot of problems that with when it, that with went into it in addition to this. Stuff like they don't have a real prototype that they can identify. A lot of the promises they're trying to make, they aren't. Like something about the hardware that you'd be able to put in an adapter and be able to adjust to any cartridge-based system that you could plug an adapter into, which sounds really cool in theory. Uh, the fact that you can't patch games or add DLC to games is, I think, a bad thing more than a good thing, and I don't know who it appeals to. They seem to have the idea of how to make the system more exclusive rather than get the system actually made is another problem. If you look at the history of it, I just don't see why anyone would want this blasted thing. It's cool in theory. I just... Th- this this was never going to work. Well, to paraphrase one Adam Jensen... Uh, we, we never, we never asked for this. <laughs> like t- truth be told, I don't think that there's really a demand. Um, you know, anybody who is interested in playing their, you know, retro video game cartridges probably are still sort of putting on some ointment from the burn that they got from the, uh, you know, the, uh, Retron five and you know all the promises that hyperkin made with that console and certainly did not deliver on that thing was underwhelming to say the least 
And on top of that, you know, evidently they were going to be asking $300 for this console, which... Way too much. an insane amount of money for what this thing is. Particularly when, now, if you're not super concerned with actually playing physical cartridges and you're more just on the nostalgic kick of, hey man, I used to own a Genesis and I want to play some games, then... You can go to any game store or hell, even Walmart, I think, and pick up, you know, one of those retro consoles where they have almost the entire systems library on a chip inside the console for like 50 bucks. I mean, like I have one of those for um, the Atari and I almost picked one up for the Genesis as well, just because, Mm -hmm. I mean... I'm not, I personally am not as much into like the game collecting as I know that you are. So to just play the games, I mean, for 50 bucks to get like almost a whole library of games, you can't really beat that. So the, the appeal there isn't really there for this thing. And, and as I said, I actually think one of the bigger reasons really is just that uh, the people that were interested in this, are just really gun shy after getting burned by so many other things like Hyperkin or or hell mm-hmm. even the Ouya, you know. Well, well, here's here's the difference with the with the Ouya and the retro VGS, right? First of all, the Ouya cost ninety nine dollars once they made it, and it was a fantastic emulation device from what I understand. You could put m- multiple emulators on there. You had USB cables that enabled you to play with any controller you wanted to. The Ouya was much less of a risk to the consumer. Plus, it was hooked up to the Android shop. So, yes, you, did you have to make them specifically for Ouya? Yes, but you could port it over because the OS was similar. Let's look at the retro VGS. If you're a major developer, you're not touching this thing. No. You're not going anywhere near this thing. If you're a small developer, why would you go near this thing? Because you would have to make a game based for – you'd have to make a cartridge-based game. It's not cost effective for a small independent video game company to make a cartridge based game on a limited budget. No, I can see you see that with the, with the Neo Geo NG Dev. I think they still make AES games, and and that's in and of itself. I don't really know how they do that cost effectively. It, it is ultimately a labor of love, but they are doing it for a hardware that already exists. You have to go out and you have to sell a console. To a bunch of people and explain to them these indie games that you can get on Steam for $5, you buy from us for $30 to $60 for the same thing, and it's on a cartridge. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, there's there's only... Nostalgia will only take you so far. <laughs> it's not even nostalgia because they're trying to pitch new games. No, no, no. I, I know, but I just mean like the, oh, I own a game on a cartridge and I can plunk it into a slot, like that sort of thing. Like that really... There's a very limited appeal there. Well, even even so, like you were saying, a Sega Genesis, you can still go out and get a Sega Genesis for $30 or less. Yeah, yeah. It's not that hard to do. And you can get a pretty decent library of, of Sega games uh, at, at like $5 a pop, right? Mm. So if you go out and you spend $100 on a, on a Sega stuff, like let's say you save up $100, not even $300, on a Sega setup, you have a pretty decent library of games already. And you get to pop a cartridge into a slot. Now, if Sega's not your your flavor, yeah, Super Nintendo and Nintendo are a little bit more expensive. But there are other alternatives that I think that we all remember. If you really have that nostalgia. It just, you're right. It, we never asked for this. It's the thing we didn't really know we didn't want. Absolutely. <laughs> 
But there are some things that some important people are asking for, like a union. Wait, you said important. Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, man. Like, as far as gaming goes, like, I suppose they're more important than the rest of us, like, regular schmoes. Yeah, they, they, they don't care about the peasants. They do not. But anyway, continue, sir. Yeah, so evidently, and I actually was not really aware of this at all, so I guess this has been sort of in talks for a little while now, but... Um, Certain pro gaming teams from the, you know, Dota 2, Counter Strike, and that sort of realm, um, have been stating some demands regarding the, the, the creation and structuring of team unions to better facilitate some of the, uh, I suppose quality of life improvements that, um, that they're really looking for. Now, I know, like, on the outset, this probably sounds completely ludicrous to a lot of people i don't i really don't think it sounds that ludicrous right Uh, but i and that's where i was going with that is i actually don't because the level of organization that goes into esports teams at a professional level at this point i'm actually surprised that this sort of a structure hasn't already been put in place um so i think it's actually pretty worthwhile uh this will allow for uh, a lot more standardization of how, uh, you know, pro sports teams are, or, or pro esports, I suppose I should put that in there. <laughs> pro esports mm-hmm. teams are, are treated and what they can expect, uh, from both their management and from, from, you know, venues and sponsors and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't think it's ludicrous. I, I am, I am somewhat surprised that this is happening. I, however, I do not think it's ludicrous. Uh, I do see some problems kind of coming up out of it. And that is once you start forming unions in, in these elite player groups, something that was kind of designed to be inclusive or you could come up and rise up and, and go through the ranks and be an unknown. I think you, you're going to start losing some of that with esports Now, as we've said, I really don't care much for esports personally, mm. but I'm not an idiot. I, I recognize that as having an impact on video gaming at large and on entertainment at large as it grows and Twitch gets bigger and YouTube gaming gets bigger. And these guys are starting to make more money. And they're going to start to say, hey, we're making you money. We, we want better terms here. Like You want us to go out and play at your events. One of the demands is we kind of want to have our hotel room and travel paid for. If you're going to fly us out to this, this is something we want. Uh, we don't think we should have to pay for this on our own. We think there should... Now, the minimum money level, I don't really agree with. Uh, I think that... And when they unionize... The, 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 I can understand why they're doing it too is because they're trying to establish a better relationship with a lot of these events and, and the teams themselves. But... If you have all these events and they're so loosely connected, they're just inviting these teams over and you start making minimum payments, maybe some of these events can't uh, support that. And I think that could be a problem. Uh, There are going to be hurdles, but I'm actually on the side here of the esports guys trying to figure out a way to come together and, and, and make reasonable requests of the industry that this new industry that they're in. So there's limits and there's borderlines and it's essentially it's a player's association like they have in pro sports. It's so much, I think it's the league, whatever league that they have overall overarching league that needs to be figured out because who exactly are they working for in this union? I think that's the biggest question I'm looking at right now. Mm. 
Yeah, no, and and I I totally agree. Like I, this is this is really just so that they can avoid being taken advantage of because I know that I know that I've seen stories come come across where uh, you know pro sports uh, esports teams and and members of those teams operate under some really shitty circumstances and environments and um, you know unionizing like this will at least give them a better baseline so that they. Uh, they, they know what they can expect. But then you got to look who's going to recognize the union, too. And that's where it can start kind of get, getting murky. Well, I mean, to a certain degree, uh, it's sort of forcing the hand of these places, right? Because if they unionize and they stick to it, then, these you know, they can deny people. Like, say, listen, if you're not going to meet these baseline requirements, then we won't come play for you or whatever. And... It's going to kind of have to, there's going to have to be some give somewhere. You know where there was no give and requirements were not met? Mm. On the augmenting your pre-order. It's dead. They listened to us, Shane. We did it. I We did it. You know, uh, um, I was actually kind of surprised by this. I, I really didn't expect them to back down on this one. It was because of the Retro Hangover podcast. Oh, absolutely. If it wasn't for our episode... This would still be happening. I mean, we, right we are now. the voice of a generation. It, yes. If it was not for our episode where we made this a main topic about telling how just disgusting Square Enix was, I, I, I know right now at, at Square of America, Square Enix of America, they said to themselves, hey, Chris and Shane make some fantastic points for taking this down. So really what we're saying is you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are welcome. And now you can cancel your pre-order. And which you enjoy your shouldn't game. have done in the first place, but that's no. okay. We'll, well forgive you this time. Well, it depends how much. I'm not saying you shouldn't pre-order. I'm just saying not under these shitty conditions. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, with with this augment your pre-order thing they were doing, you you shouldn't have shouldn't have put your money in that at all. Now you can like totally yes. fucking knock yourself out if you want, but prior to that, I'd say no way. But, um, but yeah, so Squeenix basically just said that, hey, you know, um, we kind of heard a what they refer to as a resounding amount of negative feedback, which even that, I think, is an understatement, uh, is the reason for canceling this, this whole program. Um, I am impressed that this actually worked and that they backed down on it. Um, this just goes to show you that, you know, if... if we, we we actually do still have a voice in this whole thing, even though a lot of times we don't feel that we do and that we're just sort of at the mercy of these companies. You know, if you make a big enough stink about it, then, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can make a difference. And I'm glad we, we finally did make a difference. Uh, I'm not saying like retro hanger. I'm talking about us as people who play games and who, who pay attention to these things and, and call out companies when they're up to bullshit. They're not doing any good. Uh, very happy to see this get shot down. So uh, if you have actually pre-ordered this already, and shame on you, first of all, uh, or if you're going to plan on doing that now that this whole debacle is passed, in which case you're okay in my book, all of the pre-orders are going to be the same now. You're going to get all of the rewards that they were going to be locking away under the pretense of, you know, buyer choice. And the game's going to be playable for everyone at the same time. There's no more of this early release bullshit. So everybody's going to get to play it on what they have announced the official release date of being February 23rd of 2016. You know, it would be really nice for the industry to go ahead and change and listen to us on is microtransactions. 
Uh, Do you love microtransactions, Shane? Uh, you know, this may be a surprise, but uh, I don't, actually. I don't know who would. I don't even like them in mobile games where there actually is a purpose for it, but microtransactions in your AAA games on your consoles, the ones that you spend $60 for, now have microtransactions. This isn't news. They've been around for a while. I think I remember originally seeing them in NCAA 2012 or NCAA 12 or whatever it was. It was a few years back when you could buy little packets and they would help you out. They've been in various other games of AAA caliber, uh, $60 games, stuff like that. They've been around for a while, but not at this level and not at this rate. Recent news has come out to say that Destiny, Metal Gear Solid 5, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and even Tomb Raider are all going to have microtransactions within the game. Probably the most egregious of all those is Metal Gear Solid 5's microtransaction to protect the money that you spend on microtransactions. Yeah, so this is fucking insane, first of all. Yeah! It's what they're referring to as FOB Insurance Service. Now, if you're not familiar with that at all, and uh, truth be told, I wasn't because I haven't played MGS5 at all. The FOB refers to the forward operating base, which is something that you maintain in the multiplayer aspect of the game. Now, the insurance service they're offering is something that you can actually plunk down real money on to guarantee that you will be compensated for any losses incurred due to attacks on your FOB during multiplayer gameplay. This is You're spending money to protect the money you spend. You are now paying for... Now, listen... Insurance, even in the real world, is already a fucking racket to begin with. Yes. You are now p- paying for insurance for your digital items in a game. And on top of that, this is not a one-time only purchase. I will put that out there. This is an insurance policy that you will actually have to renew if you want to ensure that your assets in MGS5 are are you know, properly compensated for. I guess the worst part about all this is you can just, there's there's an option where you can turn off whether or not you even want to be attacked. Is there really? Yes. Ah, see, I didn't even know that. That just makes this even more fucking ludicrous. It's amazing. This is beautiful. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a word. I don't know if that's what I'd uh, use for it. It's, it's, this, this is just, it's mind-blowing. Now, I mean, on on a slightly less crazy track, you know, the, the other ones that you mentioned, I will say they're not necessarily as bad, or at least some of them. Um, Destiny, as you mentioned, is going to be introducing a vendor in the game, or rather reintroducing a vendor that is repurposed to offer microtransaction services and at this point it's all just emotes so it's purely aesthetic as i've gone on record as saying before i don't mind if there are microtransactions for things that do not affect how the game plays so these emotes it's whatever if you don't need to buy them if you really want to and you've got money to burn fucking knock yourself out The only problem with that is that, and rightly so, a lot of people are seeing this as basically a foot in the door sort of thing where, you know, it's a slippery slope, right? So they're going to start offering purely aesthetic items to begin with, but who knows? They could just go down that road where they start offering, you know, stat boosters for, you know, an hour or something for the mere cost of 99 cents or whatever bullshit they want to pull. But it's, it's it's getting so bad now that I think you're kind of saying this as well, that you're going to get down to where it's just the core game experience is what you're going to get with the game. I think a lot of 
publications are coming out tell people to be upset because there was a time when you bought a game and an option like like they're saying it's going to be a microtransaction in the new Tomb Raider game, like Big Head Mode. Big Head Mode is going to be a microtransaction. Yeah, which used to be like an unlock or a cheat code before. Or a cheat, yeah. Stuff that you you play through a game and you get cheats and you unlock stuff and stuff that just used to come in the game and just silly, stupid shit the developer would throw in there just because why the fuck not? Why wouldn't you? It's just fun, which is what video games are supposed to be is fun and you're having additional fun with the game in, in different ways. Uh, and it was kind of a thanks to you for enjoying their game. Now you have to purchase this and... This is this is only the beginning. I, if these are successful and they make money. You can see AAA console games have limitations and walls that are part of the gameplay that, sure, you don't have to do it. But if you don't do it, you're going to have a lot slower or more difficult of a time. And, and it's not going to be natural. And this is starting to happen and encroach upon our, our AAA games. And it's not good. It's this is scary. It it is it is and and one last uh, item there is regarding Tomb Raider or the upcoming Tomb Raider game, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, their Rise of the Batman. <laughs> their their microtransactions and and actually their DLC uh, roadmap has sort of been laid out recently as well. And I can say I'm not a fan of these either um because the microtransactions they are going to put into this one they are referring to as expedition cards let me just go out there and say right now that card packs are probably one of the most like insidious microtransaction systems in any game ever and me being completely random absolutely it's the same thing as the cardboard crack syndrome from magic the gathering or pokemon or any collectible card game where oh well i don't know what i'm gonna get but i'm gonna spend you know x amount of dollars on a 15 card booster pack and hope that i get something good and if i don't well i just need to buy some more which is exactly what they're incorporating in a lot of games now especially mobile titles and why not, right? Because that's exactly how that works. It's it's completely lucrative for them, and um, you know we're we're looking for that next that next dopamine hit and hoping that oh maybe just one more, just one more. It's essentially gambling, and it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, they used to do that in games and give you that feeling in games naturally, like with puzzle games, like Tetris and all that stuff. That they used to happen at the the cost of buying just one game and doing it repeatedly. Especially our kids, they stem from the arcades, of course. So that's that's kind of where it comes from. But uh, I don't know, man. This is this is why I think I only own physically own two PS4 games. Uh, yeah, I PS4. mean, at this point, this is just, just reinforcing two. kind of my like long-standing belief on this anyway. That I, I unless it's something I really really want, I'm not going to be buying anything at release, and I'm going to wait to see. What people have to say about it, how it plays, what kind of bullshit is included in the game. And and even then, you know, if they've mm-hmm. got some of these microtransactions or DLC or stuff like that, a lot of the times you can still just wait until a game of the year edition or something comes out when all that shit's bundled with it anyway. And you're still going to pay less than what you would have paid for at launch. So just, you know, it's unfortunate because it kills the excitement, you know, that we like to have for our hobby but you really just have to take a more practical uh, approach to this stuff and it sucks but 
that's kind of the reality of of the industry as it stands now. The practical approach in this case might be just buy a Retron Five. <laughs> that, that is never the practical approach ever. Uh, comparatively. Anyway, what's not a practical approach is when someone asks you who's going to replace you and just tell people that you don't fucking care, <laughs> which is what Daniel Craig is saying about James Bond moving on to movies. Uh, he was recently asked, what does he think is going to be going on with the net future of James Bond and if someone's going to replace him? And he pretty much came out, not, not pretty much, he did come out and say he doesn't give a fuck who comes out and is the next James Bond. Uh, he just wants it to be better. And it sounds like he's tired of playing Bond. They're coming out with Spectre soon, which is the next James Bond movie. He's he's done a couple of them now. I'm not sure how many. Uh, they've all been, like, they've really revitalized the Bond franchise. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they've they been brought good. brought a lot back. Um, they have been good. I think I want to say not in. Is this his fourth or third? I'm trying to remember now because I know there's Casino Royale and then there was... You know what? I'm going to say this was the fourth one, and I could be wrong. I don't know. It's either the third yeah. or fourth. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's very clearly not interested in doing this, at least not for a little while. Um, I mean, he a direct quote from the interview is, I'd rather break this glass and slash my wrists. <laughs> well, that's mostly because he just got out of production. And yeah, I think he was tired of being Bond. Yeah, yeah. But you, I, just, you wanted to take a break. For a while. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, he's saying that, you know, if it's something that he'd ever return for, then at this point, it'd be basically just for the money, which honestly, if that's his approach to it, I'm not sure as much as I do like Daniel Craig as Bond. And I do. If that's really if he's just going to be in it for the paycheck and not because he really wants to do it, then I would say we'd all just be better off, including Mr. Craig, uh, if someone else just took over that mantle yeah because the, the next one should be shane oh shane Kosky. absolutely I, should should be the next james bond yeah dude i am i am british as fuck you never you, you know, notice you, i think it's discriminatory that you're not considered because you're not british you know what you're absolutely right i should also be the next doctor while we're at it no no no. that needs to be a woman <laughs> did you get that from tumblr what get what from tumblr nothing nothing never mind Moving on. <laughs> uh, so in probably better news, Marvel has detailed their phase three movie schedule. And uh, amongst the announcements is Ant-Man 2, which I don't think is really all that surprising. It was it was actually a surprisingly good film. And um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And yeah, so Ant-Man and the Wasp should be coming like in 2018, I think. What's interesting is they have three unknown Marvel movies or three unannounced Marvel movies. Yeah, those are all in 2020. So who, it's anybody's guess what those are actually going to be. But um, you can go out there on the internet and see the, the full listing of what they've said that their uh, lineup is going to be. But it's it's a lot of... A lot of sequels, which is not surprising, but then we've got some new ones peppered in there like Doctor Strange and... And Spider-Man. And another Spider-Man reboot. Why not? Because why not? Um, Black Panther, you got Captain Marvel, and also the Inhumans. So, um, I don't know. I think they've got a pretty decent lineup going on here, so um, I I don't really see them slowing down anytime soon. Unless we start getting superhero fatigue, and that that can be about it. But I don't see that happening for for a little while. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are done. 
with our main stories of the week. We have a segment called The Flight where we're going to break down new stories that aren't as big or as major. We just don't really want to talk about all that much as the rest of them. And we're going to break it down into short bite-sized segments that we call The Flight. So, PlayStation 4, finally getting a discount of about 50 bucks, I guess, across the board for at least most of the bundles. And Chris seems to think that this is going to be, like, my jumping end point so I can join the rest of you poor fools with that uh, current-gen console. And I will say that even at $350, that is still a lot of cash that I'm not sure I'm going to spend right now. Uh, it's, it's about time Sony did something like this. They didn't really need to. I still don't think they need to because they're still selling these things hand over fist and this gangbusters, and they've just been breaking open a market that I think a lot of people predicted wasn't going to do this well. $50 less, good for them. Now they completely are smashing the Xbox because they, they match it in price. It's more powerful, and the Wii U is just not that much lower. PS4, overall win for everybody, especially with new terabyte consoles at the original price. Uh, it's been surfaced that someone actually built an entire NES system into an NES cartridge. This thing looks really interesting it has a slot that you can put an nes cartridge onto the it's on the face where you can put it in with a power switch and and two controller ports on it for and it looks extremely portable i just think it's amazing some of the things that you can do with uh technology now and how people are figuring out how to make these things work uh yeah i mean this is definitely a cool little like homebrew project uh i will say that it probably would look kind of weird to see an nes cartridge plugged into another nes cartridge (laughs) but um this would also then sort of just lead you to wonder like why didn't they just put uh, like a chip inside of this thing and just put the entire nes library inside of a cartridge seems like it would be a lot easier that defeated the purpose (laughs) (laughs) because it's not cool that's why uh, so Fallout 4 PC minimum and recommended specs have been confirmed and I looked them over and I think I am still good. So this little workhorse of mine that I built about five or six years ago is still going to serve me for at least a little while longer. But if you were curious, uh, you're going to need uh, a, a at least a modern version of Windows 7 through 10. Um, at least a Core i5 Intel chip or an AMD Phenom 2, about 8 gigs of RAM and 30 gigs of free hard drive space with at least a 550 Ti NVIDIA graphics card. Um, and if you're using a Radeon, well, I, I well, I, I don't want to talk to you because it's AMD, but that's an entirely other story. First of all, I have Radeon stuff in my computer. Well, we can't talk anymore. Right Podcast over. And- Podcast over. Uh, but in reality, I have no idea what Shane just said. He said a bunch of techno babble. Hey, look, from what I understand from what people have been saying, the, the minimum requirements are, are not actually all that demanding for a lot of people who do PC game and haven't upgraded the rig in a while. They are not. Uh, the recommended, the recommended specs, I, from what I understand, are, are, are pretty beastly, but hey, look, um, it's good that they're, they're, they're still maintaining a big audience. And hey, just because the minimum requirements aren't that high doesn't mean this game's going to look awful. So if you think just because the minimum requirements are low, stop your bitching and just hopefully it's going to be a good game and enjoy it. Plus, hey, it's a Bethesda game, which means that there's going to be graphical update mods that people are going to put out anyway. So just give it some time and you can get your high res texture packs. Yeah, shove it, you PC master race. (laughs) Naughty Dog did a investigation or did some research and found out that 80% of PlayStation 4 owners never played an Uncharted game. This is why they are going to say that the next this uncharted repack 
Drake collection, whatever it is, the remastering of the first three Uncharted games should have a wider audience to be successful on the PS4. I think it's shocking that 80% of PS4 owners never played one, considering how wildly successful Uncharted really was. I don't really think it's going to matter in terms of bringing a new audience in there. I think most people who buy remasters, especially in compilations, are people who already bought it anyway. But, hey, look, that is a staggering number of 80% of PS4 numbers never played any of those three games. Uh, it, it, it is a little surprising, but it might be tempered a little bit by a previous statement by Sony as well. It said that almost half of PS4 owners didn't actually ever own a PS3. So... Uh, you know, when you take that percentage and then put that in with the 80% number, then it at least sounds a little more reasonable. Um, I, of course, never owned a PS anything, so I haven't played the Uncharted series at all. Video game voice actors, they have actually voted yes on their potential strike. This is something that we had talked about uh, on an earlier episode, and I actually had said that I didn't think that there was going to be a need for a strike, that their demands weren't really all that crazy, but uh, evidently over 96% of the SAG-AFTRA members voted in favor of the strike. So it's it's going down. Uh, it's, it's, the good thing is it's not going down quite yet. It's just that those 96% of the people say that they would be in favor of it once they decide to move forward. It does, but you're right. It does look like this is going to actually happen. If I was those 4% people who voted no, I'd be kind of watching my ass before they try to make it 100%. But I'm shocked that they couldn't come to some sort of resolution before this happened. I don't know how it's going to really impact the industry, video game industry if it does, but uh, you know what? I'll just continue to play my old text-based RPGs and just laugh at everybody. The SNES PlayStation. Remember that console that was briefly mentioned? Yeah. And had pictures and everything like that? It's going to be debuting in Hong Kong. We're going to power it on and see what's inside of it and all that good stuff at this fair in Hong Kong. Uh, I think it's interesting that it's not going to be debuted in the United States, that the owner of this didn't take it to another retro expo here in the United States, which there are plenty of. But he's probably, he might be getting a good offer from Hong Kong trying to get this fair and retro expo off the ground, but still really weird. It, it is very weird. It's definitely a cool little piece of uh, gaming history, though. And if, uh, you know, for whatever reason you are interested in seeing this thing in person and have the wherewithal to travel to Hong Kong, the uh, retro gaming event is called HK Retro. And... Uh, if you've seen the pictures of this thing, I know that we went over it a little bit before, but it is really weird seeing what is essentially an SNES controller with the Sony PlayStation branding on it. It uh, it there it creates some sort of cognitive dissonance in my head that I can't re- I can't really uh, come to terms with. Uh, speaking of some things that I'm sure some people can't come to terms with is. Um, the Fortress Final, Fan- Final Fantasy uh, that was canceled, apparently. Um, some of the game's art has been unveiled at this point, courtesy of GameSpot, uh, which features everything from sprawling deserts to expansive wetlands to even epic boss encounters and battle-ready chocobos. Everybody loves chocobos. No. I mean, I love chocobos. Chocobo love aside. <laughs> Uh, it's always interesting seeing concept art for canceled games just because it always asks the question, what if? You can't really say if a game's going to be good or not, but based off my experiences, sequels to Final Fantasy games have not been good. So, yes, it's interesting to see this concept art that 
Square, especially they're giving it to uh, an out-of-country developer to get it done. It was even more interesting. There was a failed company named Grin, I believe. And, of course, yeah, the concept art looks cool. The concept art looks interesting. We'll never know what it was going to be or how it was going to play or how it would be uh, any of that information. But um, just a little tidbit in the history of Final Fantasy, just another one of those things. What if this thing happened? What if we had a Final Fantasy XII too? Who knows? Yu Suzuki is a greedy bastard because apparently $6 million is not enough to make a video game in his mind. Yes, Yu Suzuki wants more money to make Shenmue 3 because he wants to be more good looking. Uh, he raised $6 million in the most successful Kickstarter campaign of all time. And now everyone who loves Shen th- Shenmue 3 and wanted this thing to happen is probably hating every single word that's coming out of my mouth. But look, if you can't make a su- successful game out of a Kickstarter campaign with $6 million being the most successful Kickstarter campaign for a video game of all time, then maybe priorities are a little fucked up and you need to renegotiate how you're supposed to be spending your money, botch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it really just sounds like he's trying to get more money just to make it prettier, um, which is entirely unnecessary, but the the way that he phrases it is kind of weird where, you know, he's saying like, well, it... You know, I mean, if we don't get this money, it may not uh, may not raise the bar for, for video game graphics. But, hey, at least we'll probably still try to tell an interesting story. And so from what I've gathered, and again, you already know that I basically have never had any experience with any of the Shenmue games. But really, that's that's really what people are looking for is the story. That's what this whole thing is built around. So to to be going out there and being like, hey, man. Could, could you just could you give us some more cash so we can make this thing look better? It's like I don't I'm not sure that that's really the priority that you ought to be shooting for here. And and by coming out and publicly saying that it, it's sort of like engendering some ill will, I would imagine. The next news piece is going to be Yu Suzuki says that it'll be MS DOS text space <laughs> unless he makes ten million dollars. All of Shenmue 3's <laughs> art will be made in MS Paint. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, last but certainly not least on the flight this time around, CD Projekt Mm. Red, the makers of the Witcher series, has gone on record saying that their upcoming title, Cyberpunk 2077, is, quote, far, far bigger than The Witcher 3. Part of me likes this, and then the realistic adult part of me realizes that that's fucking insane because The Witcher 3 is huge already and I just do not have that kind of time in my life. Just ask yourself a question. Is far, far bigger always better? Women, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Hot dog or fucking Arizona iced tea? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> that one took you a second, but it's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll. That's that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. Actually, no, I'm going to rebut that statement. That could be awful. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is awful. Bigger is not always better. It's how you make it perform. That's right. And it's how you use it, gentlemen. Uh, well, hey, that was a great way to wrap up the flight. And uh, <laughs> make sure to wrap it up. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> Uh, and on that note, we're going to be moving into our main topic discussion for this episode, which, as Chris had uh, touched upon earlier, 
is the the console wars and the history thereof. Uh, this has been a, a long war of attrition between uh, several different combatants over the years, and of course the major players in in this battle have uh, have changed and swapped out on occasion. But it's been raging now for oh I don't know at least a good what five decades something like that. Five decades. Console wars. Yeah. Uh, more like like two and a half. Like the major ones. Uh, well, major maybe, but I think you're you're yeah, you're discounting the, ones, the, the 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 popular ones, the one the ones that most people can talk to. Ah, yes, but this this war has been waged much longer than that. It, it, not you're saying it's been waged since 1965. I have no, <laughs> dude. Whatever, man. It's close. It's 40, 50. I mean, what's a decade between <laughs> you know bitter enemies? Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, the reason um, we bring this main topic to the forefront this this week is I feel like we could have definitely expounded upon what Phil Spencer said last week about uh, the console wars nowadays being distasteful. And I found that interesting because console wars have gone back quite a bit. And I, I, I personally feel like console wars have, at least when they started, and we can debate where it's at now, but console wars between, especially between Nintendo and Sega, have elevated video game popularity, distasteful or not, and they've done wonders for the game industry. And uh, yes, has it I, has it taken a turn? Sure, but we kind of wanted to touch upon what what console wars have been in the past, and kind of and kind of get into where they've gone to now. And I, I I personally believe that console wars have gone tamer from the actual companies. But in terms of what people are saying and doing, they have gotten a lot more ridiculous and worse. Uh, yeah, I think that might also just be exacerbated by the internet and you know the mm-hmm. accessibility of you know oh, of course, everyone's of course. opinion. So, uh, so Chris, you're 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 a little bit more of a of a, cons- well, a console the- historian than I am, perhaps. So, yeah. So, uh, wh- where do you think this thing really sort of started? I think it really sort of started early '80s, because we all know Atari came out in the like what mid to late '70s mm-hmm. with the VCS, also known as the 2600, and it really didn't have any competition until the Odyssey 2 and the Intellivision. Now, there was always little spats, of course. You'd have people who were ripping stuff off. The Odyssey 2, I can't remember who made the Odyssey, uh, Magnavox. Mm. Uh, Magnavox came out with the Odyssey 2, and of course they had Casey Munchkin, which was a blatant pa- Pac-Man ripoff. And, well, not actually not that blatant. It was actually a pretty good game, but uh, it got, I think Atari went after them, and, and it got them sued, and, and they had to change the game. So you had console wars in that area back then. It was mostly through lawsuits, not so much for through advertisements. You wouldn't see if you go back and watch the old advertisements for like the Intellivision and the Atari. You never really see them bashing each other over the head. In fact, a lot of systems. I, I don't know if it's the Coleco or the Intellivision, but one of them actually had an adapter that you could play Atari twenty six hundred games on, and that was kind of how they were swiping at them. It's kind of like, hey. People can buy our console and still play your game, so they don't need to buy your console. Uh, but I think the dynamic was definitely different back then because video games were viewed differently than how they were viewed af- after the Nintendo was released. But for the most part, before the NES, uh, there really 
there was competition, but it wasn't really accessible to the consumer for how much I can tell. Of course, I wasn't around back then to really evaluate and experience what the console wars were like back then. But it, it seemed like, yes, there, there definitely was a, a, a feeling of hostility between Mattel and Magnavox and Atari back then. It was just less pronounced to the actual consumer public. Mm-hmm. And of course... Of course, um, once you go to the days of the NES, there was no other real show in town. I guess you could say Console Wars kind of existed in Japan because you had the PC Engine that released so closely after the Nintendo did in Japan. And it was meant to compete or be its own successor to the Famicom over in Japan. And, And I have no idea what it was like over there, nor do I have any idea what it was like in Europe where the Master System was much more successful than the Famicom, well, at least as successful as the Famicom, which it was not in North America. But I think we all know that the console wars, the most identified console wars that we could tell was, and this is where the conversation really picks up, is the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis uh, especially for Genesis does what Nintendo don't. And there was no Super Nintendo. There was there was no Super Nintendo when the ad campaign even started. Um, when they had like Buster Douglas boxing and the Moonwalker and Joe Montana football. That was in 1989. The Super Nintendo was still two years away. So they're saying, hey, we're better than the Nintendo, the NES. And yet, no shit. <laughs> it was, you, you have a 16-bit console. It better be better than the NES, which is six years after the, the release of the Famicom. It was based off that hardware. And it was actually a very successful campaign. Uh, and that, just by talking smack about Nintendo, it was, it was pretty much just saying Nintendo sucks. I think that's really the first kind of advertisement you saw that from a video game company that was popular. Because I'm pretty sure NEC did it as well with the Turbo. But... It, that didn't really do anything for them because they weren't as powerful as the Sega Genesis and the games weren't as good. Well, they, they, I'm not going to say they weren't as good, but they weren't as accepted as games on, on the Sega Genesis and on the NES. They, they just didn't have the same quality. And, and you know, you know what the Genesis had? What Nintendo? Besides that. What a, a blast processing? <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking blast processing, <laughs> which was totally a real thing. It's totally real. Oh, uh, it, it kind of was. Uh, it was something that was taken completely out of context. Uh, yes. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this this was really the time where this really started to pick up and, and got to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That's when everyone really started to see that there was an actual <laughs> war going on that was mm-hmm. entirely engendered by, you know, the, the console makers. Um, and... <sighs> So conflict is always a great selling point, right? I mean, that's like with anything. Like uh, you can't Mm -hmm. have a TV show where everybody agrees because it's boring. It would suck. So you have to have conflict. And much in the same way, uh, you know, creating this conflict between the companies was a great selling point really for both of them to a certain degree. And I... More so for Sega. Well, yeah, definitely more so for Sega. But... um, I I will definitely say that I actually really liked this era mostly mostly just because of the ad campaigns and everything that came out of it. It was just such an insane time to to be, you know, sort of like a gamer, I guess. Um just just with the crazy well, stuff that they were putting out there. The the difference and, and this this is 
talked about and, and not so much for console war uh, uh, purposes, but in terms of genera- console generational differences, I think a lot of it is why the console wars are looked back on as not being as bad as what they are now. You look at what they, like they are now between the PS4 fans and Xbox One fans, and, and it's not even between Sony and Microsoft. They, they barely spat at each other, which is another major difference is you see Phil Spencer, and he'll give credit to Sony, as we talked about earlier. Mm. Uh, you see Sony and uh, I think Kaz, was it Kaz, Kaz Harai? I think this is, I don't know why I can never, I can never remember the dude's name. Who's ever in charge of Sony's gaming division right now? Uh, he says he owns a Wii U and he plays a Wii U and he enjoys a Wii U and he wishes success to Nintendo. And you hear Nintendo pretty much say the same about their competitors, except for Microsoft because they're Japanese and they hate the Americans. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they, 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 they support behind the scenes. These companies are very supportive of each other. Nintendo and Sega hated each other oh yeah back then like the companies came out and the difference was then too is now like you look at as i was trying to get to before sony and microsoft the ps4 and the xbox one do not have that different of a game library you went go back to the super nintendo and the sega days you would have the same the game would have the same license the same characters the same title the same be released this like the same month and be a completely different game oh yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me, uh, just from personal experience, like uh, was the Aladdin for Super Nintendo. Yes, I was going to say, yes, Aladdin. Yeah, those are two entirely different games. And you can ask both sides of that of that argument and they will both tell you that their version is superior. Yes, I'm with the Genesis. Side. I am with the Super Nintendo side. There you go. Perfect example. <laughs> uh, and they are they are completely different games. Um, One made by Capcom, one made by Virgin Interactive. Another example would be uh, Jurassic Park. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was another game where they they are completely different games. Shadowrun, mm, which was actually Wild. one of the decent Shadowrun games for for a console, and and they are both believed to be very good games in their own right, but they're completely different video games. Just the simple fact, like it, like Street Fighter, when Street when Street Fighter Two came out, they're they're the same game on both systems. But it was when it came out on the Super Nintendo, it was such a big deal. It seemed like a victory. And when Sega got it and it was a faster game, it was like, oh, this is this this is versions better because it's faster. It's on Sega and it can run faster now. There were differences. And then, of course, you had the differences in the versions of the original Mortal Kombat where the blood blood versus the quote unquote sweat that they had in the uh, Nintendo version, which that, of course, just sort of lended to Sega's mm-hmm. whole um, edgy sort of persona that they were trying to put out there. Well, I, I did find it funny that when people mentioned that, they never mentioned the fact that it had you needed to enter a code in order to get the blood. It's not you turn on the game and there's blood in the original Mortal Kombat for the Sega Genesis. Mm. And, and people never really, they, they gloss over that fact. But you did need to know a code that I think is commonly referred to as Abacadabba. Which is A B A C A B B A. Uh, it's actually Abacab, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, something like and that. And for yeah. the record, by the way, there's actually a band called Abacab. <laughs> I found that out a few a, a few years back. 
Is it named after the code? It is actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, awesome. yeah, it is pretty cool. But uh, so so moving on in in the history of the console wars, you end up with uh, a a new challenger in the arena, circa mm-hmm. mid to late nineteen nineties. So with the the advent of three D uh, coming into the video gaming space in a a more real sort of way. Uh, you have somebody that you might be familiar with, uh, known as a little company called Sony, who kind of were a little butthurt about getting burned by Nintendo on that uh, SNES CD-ROM uh, add-on deal that they were trying to do. So they said, fuck it. We're going to make our own console. And, and hence, gonna, the PlayStation and was born. Make a PlayStation. Yeah. And uh, well, so... You, you didn't really see any smack-talking... You didn't, you didn't really see any smack tummy ca- talking coming out of Sony from that. From <laughs> smack like the talking. first smack talking. I don't know. I, I can't talk. But um, there are two years, like for two years, not until Crash Bandicoot became really popular. And I think you remember those commercials where they sent this guy as a mascot in front of uh, Nintendo's uh, headquarters, and they had him dressed as Crash Bandicoot talking with the microphone. Do you remember any of that? Oh yeah, the dude in in the crash suit. Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah. That was the last time I really saw companies really attack each other in a memorable fashion. Because once Sony entered the fray, yeah, they're going after Nintendo because Sega didn't really matter uh, because the Saturn was there. Yeah, and that thing pretty much bombed. It it did. Not pretty much. It 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 did. <laughs> um, it, it didn't really take off. And when the Dreamcast came out. I don't really remember Sega really going after the other consoles. I think it just pretty much said it was better. Mm. And that was about it. And then you had, you know, the, the PlayStation 2 came out. And, and there was no real console war. It just crushed everybody. It didn't need to talk about the other consoles because, like, this PlayStation 2 was selling gangbusters. And... No one else even came close. Like the the GameCube couldn't talk smack. The Xbox was new, and it didn't really. From what I from what I remember, it didn't really come out and, and talk smack at all. Not really. And, no. and even up to like the companies, I have I can't remember specifically outside of um, EA. Not EA. E three a couple years ago when Sony made the jab about how to share a video game, which was brilliant. I might add, <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I can't really remember when a company has had an advertising campaign or an open out, just an open advertising campaign where they're going after other companies. And they, they, they really mentioned what they're doing. And the last time I can really remember that is when Sony had Crash Bandicoot standing outside Nintendo headquarters uh, just talking smack to them about how CDs are better. Yeah, and I mean, actually, you could almost argue that while it was definitely entertaining, that that whole Crash Bandicoot marketing push there might have not even necessarily been required, really. I mean, the the, the PS1, the first PlayStation at that point, I think um, kind of just sort of took over for, for quite a while there. I mean, granted, you had the N64, and I will say that um, coming from a, a biased standpoint there because I had I was through and through a Nintendo person for quite a long time and I never oh same here. And I never owned a PlayStation I had an N64 so to me that thing was great and and it is great um, but even the N64 really couldn't put a whole lot of brakes on Sony's momentum at that point and then as you had said you know coming from that 
they go into what was the even more successful PS2. And there really wasn't much of anything else that could touch it. And the Xbox was surprising for a lot of people. I know that it surprised me because I did not expect Microsoft, who, you know, up until that time was purely just an operating systems developer. And I did not see that coming. Um, I didn't expect them to step into uh, the, you know, the video game space at all in that big of a way. I thought they would fail. I, I thought it would be a one hit wonder and they kind of just fizzle off. I didn't, ne- I never took the Xbox seriously. No, no. And, <laughs> and I remember at least one of my friends that owned an original Xbox back when it was still, you know, relevant. And I tried playing some games over at his place with it. And I just, man, those original Xbox controllers. Those things are just fucking bricks. Are you talking about the Duke? Yeah. It was just so like unwieldy. I I don't know, man. I couldn't I couldn't handle that thing. But we're at a point now with these console wars. I don't understand why there's so much brand loyalty amongst uh, a lot of these these fans nowadays. How they can just attack each other. It, the companies aren't doing it. That's the strange thing. And this this kind of goes back mostly to to last generation. I would say this started early in the last generation between the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. Is the fans are doing most of the talking about it. The fans are... are uh, these fanboys are coming to the defense of these companies uh, as a brand. It's insane brand loyalty. That... You know, you, you know about Nintendo brand loyalty, and they'll stay by Nintendo no matter what. And and they'll just talk as much smack, too. It's just they really don't have room to anymore. And they didn't really when the Wii was selling like hotcakes, because they didn't have to. They they still did. It was more so like a PC master race, superiority, whatever. Um, you can you two can fight in the corner of the Wii selling like crazy, even though very few Nintendo... I mean, the, the Nintendo... Hardcore fan base was probably an extreme minority of people who actually played the Wii. Probably, but while while they might may not have a reason to or anything like that, I will say that as it stands right now, I feel like Nintendo fans at least have some of a justification for the loyalty that they have to the brand, whereas Xbox mm-hmm. and PlayStation fans don't, and that is Nintendo's stable of ips that you can't get elsewhere well sony has a a very good stable of ips now too i just feel like nintendo's and this is probably just from longevity but i i feel like Mm -hmm. they're much more identifiable well because they they haven't dumped their ips down along the way Mm -hmm. right because sony sony let crash get away from them yeah uh sony let spyro get away from them Mm. And, and the rest of the mascots that are familiar with sony they what happens is they, they move from generation to generation. It's kind of like whatever Naughty Dog's doing is kind of Sony's mascot, right? Usually. And, yeah. and that, that's pretty much how it has been. You have, you have kind of have Ratchet and Clank that are, but they've never really pushed them as mascots. You look at Nintendo and they always move the, – they never move their mascots anywhere else. They always stay with Nintendo. Anything Nintendo makes stays with Nintendo or anything popular Nintendo stays with Nintendo for the most part. Uh, and that's just how they've operated. And everything that's, like, you know what's Nintendo. 
you've never really known what's Sony because an exclusive like Crash Bandicoot that was made by Naughty Dog was able to be bought out by Universal. And so that's going on to be be on other platforms. You can get a Crash Bandicoot game for the GameCube. And and it, it felt odd, but it never felt as odd when Sonic was finally on a GameCube with Sonic Adventure DX. Well, well, and this is this is why I feel that even though traditionally with like maybe one or two exceptions, Nintendo has always been sort of the underpowered box amongst all of the competitors. Um, and so- it was starting that that started last generation. Mm, I don't think it was just last generation. I. Uh, if I recall correctly, I want to say that there may have only been like one or two times in like the history of these consoles that Nintendo actually had like the clear superior hardware versus anybody well, it, else. It did with the Super Nintendo. Compared to what, the Genesis? The the Genesis mm-hmm. and the Turbo. Okay. You throw out the throw out the Neo Geo, that was a niche console. The next generation, the N sixty four, was technically more powerful than the PlayStation. It was advertised as such. I think it might have something to do with the release timing on some mm-hmm. of these consoles as well, because like we're comparing them just sort of one to one because that's you know kind of how we remembered them as well, lining the, up. But I think well, that was all in the and, and I'm talking about like the generation, what people think when they think of the generation, right? Right. The Super Nintendo was more powerful than the Genesis. Mm-hmm. The Nintendo 64 was technically more powerful than the PlayStation. The and it was more powerful than the Saturn. Um, the GameCube was less powerful than the Xbox, but it was more powerful than the PlayStation 2. And all three of them were more powerful than the Dreamcast. Yeah. It wasn't until the Wii that it was the clear-cut underdog. Well, I, okay, so I, I suppose that's probably true then. But I, I guess, I don't know, I guess maybe it is more recent than I think it is. But just sort of the, like, kind of weird underdog thing that Nintendo has going on that they didn't. I didn't initially have. Despite that, I do still think that because of what they've done and, you know, how steadfast they've been with their IPs, that they have a much stronger identity that people can relate to than mm-hmm. any of, you know, any of the other competitors. So I, I they do have that going for them. So I think that that would be a much more reasonable justification for some of like the rabid fanboyism that you get. And I agree with you as far as the PlayStation and Xbox is concerned. I don't get the partisanship that you see between those two at this point because it really just comes down to like almost inconsequential. Brand loyalty. Well, it is because it really almost comes down to just like almost inconsequential like technical differences between the boxes. I mean, like they're the same architecture they run almost all the same games like it's it really is just down to some like obtuse sense of brand loyalty now yeah like oh my god your your game is in 720p well my game is in 900p (laughs) so my con my game is better i hate to break it to them but when it's 900p on the ps4 and it's 720p on the uh, xbox one you can probably get on the pc for 4k just just saying um that that is a problem not a good thing so they both kind of they both kind of suck when when you look at the grand scheme of things right because they're trying to advertise themselves as, as the edge of the, the bleeding edge of technology 
and they're trying to smash each other over the head in the most vulgar of terms about which one is more powerful. And meanwhile, they're still about two, uh, they were two to three years behind the, the bleeding edge when they were released. And that's, that's the absolute sad thing about the brand loyalty between Sony and Microsoft is that if you actually have a PC and of course the attack on PC is usually what you probably heard it. So it's, uh, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to spend that much money and got it right. But it doesn't make up for the fact that every console up until this generation, every video game console has been just as, if not slightly more powerful than the very bleeding edge of technology in PCs. And this one has not been. So when you see them arguing now and the way they do, it's, it's hilarious because like you, like you did say they pretty much have the same games, but they're not nearly as powerful as a PC, and especially when most of this shit talking is about specs. Because you don't hear anything coming out of Nintendo camp. They're not talking shit at all. No, because they, I think they have a pretty like firm understanding of where they are in the market. And they've got their own little niches sort of like locked down. So I think they're pretty happy with that. But it, it makes it even more amusing because of the fact that the the other two major competitors are you know x86 machines which means that they are for all intents and purposes just underpowered pcs in a black plastic box in your living room so (laughs) the arguments about hardware specs and all that stuff are as you said basically completely moot when you can go and buy a pc and even even the even the cost argument now is almost pointless because you can spend almost as much as you would spend on a new console. Like, let's say you drop a good four or five hundred bucks. If you take a little bit of time, you can build one yourself because truth be told, it's actually not hard to build a PC anymore. It's basically just plug some stuff into a few sockets. You can make yourself a really decent gaming PC for just about as much as you would spend on a new PS4 or an Xbox One. And not only would you get better performance out of it, you'd also get a lot more longevity out of that hardware as well. And in addition to that, you can also have the flexibility of replacing parts as needed inside of a PC tower, whereas you cannot do that at all in a console. So we've... Which is a... Part of the appeal for consoles is that you don't you, you're not supposed to do that. that that's that's been part of the well appeal. it's it's the same argument that a lot of apple fans have always had where it's like well yeah you can't really modify anything but i just really don't want to i just want it to work and that that is a valid argument i'm not i'm yeah, not well, discounting apple, it apple fans are pc users that know nothing about pc <laughs> well i i actually don't disagree with you there at all uh, and that's an argument I've had with a few people uh, over the years. But but it's the same sort of argument. You know, it's like, well, I just want it to work. I just want to press a button and it does a thing. And that's fine. But for just a little, just a little bit more effort, just a little bit, you could be getting much more bang for your buck. I don't know. I guess at this point, we've kind of gone off on a little PC master race tangent. But... But that is part of that is a big part of the console war right now. It is it, PCs are there. PCs are part of the console war now because more and more people are starting to look at PCs and they're starting to see the advantages that it does provide. I don't think there's going to be a big in mass transit over to PC and consoles will die overnight. 
just because the convenience of consoles is is still there. That you always have that one package and every single game that comes out that's released and is released for that console has to be optimized to perform on that console. Whereas you're not going to get that with a PC. Um, with all the different variants. Which is going to be a reason probably why these Steam machines won't be that as successful as they could be because you still have too many different power levels and you have too many different configurations which is why you'll never see one unified pc experience but so it's part of the console wars the pc definitely the pc now is more part of the console wars and and, and actual thought mm-hmm. than it has ever been in my entire life playing video games oh yeah no absolutely i mean it's only uh, actually I mean, I suppose there could be an argument for the last gen, but I think it's really it's really now that this this has really come to the forefront, um, especially, I think, with the architecture shift that uh, PCs are actual legitimate, you know, contenders in this this arena. Um, I think it all really just boils down to one word at this at this particular juncture, and that's just homogenization uh, there. There's really no, or at least I don't think either one of us think that there are many justifications for this console war so much anymore because these boxes are all just so similar that it's almost as if you're sort of just riding on brand sentiments that are left over from years past that aren't necessarily relevant anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And to have the brand loyalty is is something I said last week as well. People got to realize Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, they don't care about you. Uh, they don't care about whoever you are. They they care about you buying their stuff. Ultimately, uh, they they want to make their bottom line. They're not going to. They don't care if you love them. They, they care if you, that your money goes into their bank accounts. That's what they, the, their ultimate goal is. So if you're a hardcore Sony pony or Microsoft, whatever, however they make fun of them, uh, their ultimate fanboys, or you're just the, the, the beloved Nintendo fanboy sitting in a corner crying because you don't understand what happened, which would be me. Uh, it, it's fine. You know, you just got to accept that all these companies have different benefits. All these consoles have different benefits. And, and, and shortcomings and uh if someone enjoys their gaming experience on a certain console then that then that's fine you, you don't need to have a ps4 and an xbox one and if you have a ps4 that doesn't mean everyone around you needs to have a ps4 uh if someone else has an xbox one you know good for them you're playing the same thing anyway and if you happen to have a wii u and you don't have a wii u you don't need to mock people for having one and if you have one you don't need to mock people for not having one or or tell them that they're stupid for not having one even though i believe everyone should have a wii u but they don't so and and by the front lines of this war sort of shifting more towards the consumers rather than the actual manufacturers like back in the the genesis super nintendo heyday you are essentially doing these companies work for them you're you're perpetuating this this like this war that is really only benefiting them. So just kind of keep what, that in mind. Yeah. Which is why Phil Spencer can come out now and say that it, the console wars are distasteful. Yeah, because it's you know they don't they're not doing it anymore. They don't have to. No, they don't. You you guys have been doing just fine. <laughs> 
But speaking of doing just fine, I think we did it just fine this week, Shane. I think we had a very good podcast. I think so, too. I think we uh, <laughs> might have ran a little bit longer than perhaps we would have liked, but uh, I think we it's had been some, two weeks. some time to catch up on, so... Yes. So that's that's good. But in any case, uh, I just want to say, as always, thank you very much for sticking with us uh, and, and being with us through this podcast. We have many different ways you can get in contact with us. You can contact us on our Facebook page, which is Retro Hangover Podcast. You can contact us on Twitter, which is at Retro Hangover. Uh, you can invest just at Retro Hangover, no podcast. And you can contact us via email. That would be podcast at retrohangover.com. And, of course, we have retrohangover.com if you'd like to go to our website. Many different avenues we highly encourage you to come by and, and check us out on. Yeah, absolutely. We would always like to uh, hear questions, comments, concerns, feedback, even Anything. even the occasional trolling. <laughs> Feel free to get in on all of those uh, those bots that have been <laughs> swarming our webpage. Maybe you can get in there and, and make yourself heard amongst the cacophony. Please do. Yes, we, we would like that. Yeah. Uh, but but in any case, uh, I am Chris Copleen, and today is October 11th, 2015. And I would just like to say thank you for joining us for the 14th episode of Retro Hangover Podcast. That's right. And until next time, happy gaming. Happy gaming. Happy gaming.